Hello, everyone. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show after a 3-0 Jets victory over the Detroit Red Wings. And if you're going to get blown out, if you're going to get pumped like the Jets did in their last game, and boy, that's a long time ago, a full week ago, but their last game against the Colorado Avalanche, a 7-1 to loss, you want to see a bounce back and How's that for a bounce back? 3 nothing. Uh, I thought a tidy little effort by the Jets. I've been on record the last little while saying let's put the measuring sticks away. Let's stop talking about how the Jets stack up with everyone else and let's worry about one thing. The Jets stacking up points and tonight was a game where they went and I thought they started that game hot. They came out. I think it was shots were 5 nothing in very, very short order. So you take that time off and you're worried about rust. Well, how do you get over that? You send the boys out and you tell them to give everything they have the first couple shifts that's exactly what the winnipeg jets did set the tone capitalized on their chances limited the chances the other way uh and there you go three nothing victory i don't think there's anything to talk uh, else to talk about other than that so that was a good one for was no i'm just kidding we're gonna go uh we're gonna dig a little bit deeper into this one and of course you know the best way to do that is to bring in the guy with the best entry music in the game here comes kenny weeb Kenny Savage 09100 agrees it is the best intro music in the business. <laughs> and of course it is absolutely rocking Tristan, our main guy coming up with that. I just, I, I get chills every time I hear that song <laughs> and I get chills because I get to see you. I get to hang out with you. It's Kenny Weebs coming on. Ken. Double header uh, day, double header. Yeah. Love the double header. We had a great show earlier on with Dan Murphy and Steve Wino. Uh, great conversations as usual. Uh, and now we're here. We're here finally doing a post-game show. Feels like it's been forever. I was talking <laughs> before you hopped on here about it, that game against Colorado, I mean, a week ago. Uh, Could have stuck in the Jets' craw, and maybe it did. Maybe that's what we saw here. I don't know. They didn't strike me as a team that was chewing over that one. But uh, what did you see, Ken, from a Jets team that had a week off and came in here tonight and knocked off the rust almost immediately? Yeah, impressive start. I mean, you touched on it right out of the gate. I mean... When eight players land in COVID protocol, you wonder who's going to respond. We know it creates opportunity, but I mean, for the Jets, you know, pretty strong out of the gate. Five shot. They had the first five shots in the game, uh, created odd man rushes right out of the gate. Uh, an impressive start for the Michigan men, obviously, uh, you know, and a day that matters to a lot of those guys. I mean, uh, Connor Hellebuck, you know, big shutout for him, 26th of his career. You know, that one was, spe- I mean, we saw he basically got emotional talking about it. Uh, although Kyle Connor kept his emotions to himself, you know that was a game. Uh, anyone who's lost a, a parent, as both of us have, uh, I mean, his first game in Michigan without his father there, uh, you know that that was probably something that was an emotional time for Kyle Connor, even if he didn't want to really get into it. Um, and, and on a day where he's named to his first All-Star team, I mean, there was probably a whole yeah. lot of emotions going for Kyle Connor and for Andrew Kopp. I mean, 
uh, for him, you know, up to 10 goals. I mean, uh, we see what happens in the chat room uh, every game. Uh, you know, here's a guy who's averaging more than 20 goals and he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. So uh, I understand a lot of folks, uh, there's always so that debate continues to uh, go and circulate whether he's a you know whether he's a top six forward or he's a middle six forward whatever you want to call it he's picked a good time to be tracking towards 20 plus goals uh, and had a really solid game really around the puck a lot tonight and his penalty killing work was uh, exceptional and same goes for Kyle Connor who uh, I know a lot of folks were kind of wondering when he got put back onto the penalty kill um, what was that going to mean well what it means is that Kyle's becoming a very smart penalty killer uh, and the only reason he was taken off the penalty kill to begin with uh, a couple of years back was because they were trying to take off some of those taxing minutes. And uh, I thought it was an impressive game, obviously, for those three guys. And, and yeah, I mean, the chat room's going wild. I mean, let's just jump right into it. I mean, uh, I thought that the young guys on defense were outstanding. Um, Dave Lowry said it best. They looked like they had been in the league for a while. And when you have two guys making their NHL debut, you really don't know what you're going to get. I thought that mm-hmm. both of those guys were uh, were excellent and utilized their skill sets perfectly. So let's start with Sandberg, a little bit more high high profile guy, second rounder in 2017. Well, he's a guy who's big and strong, but also mobile. You saw the shot blocking, you saw the mobility, you saw the clean exits, you saw the box outs, you saw him right on the penalty kill. And then with Chisholm, you saw him use his feet to get activated. Mm. Four shots on net, nine attempts. A guy, he's not reckless. He's involved offensively, but has the speed to get back. He's not out of position a lot. Uh, I thought the one thing that impressed me, it's something we talked about with Kevin Bieksa last week, Sean, his ability to drag the puck along the offensive blue line to create offense for himself and his partner, uh, Nate Schmidt. I thought that was uh, really well done. And... I mean, what did you think? I mean, I thought that those guys were excellent. Even Austin Pagansky, I thought he was noticeable. I mean, he's a big, strong guy, uh, gets around pretty well for a big guy. He's around the puck a lot. So I liked a lot about his game as well. Well, I'll say this. Someone, and it may be the players themselves, um, deserves a lot of credit for making those players uh, feel comfortable or for those players finding a way to feel comfortable because I saw zero Zero first game jitters coming out of those players. You nailed it with Chisholm. He caught my eye right off the bat. He picked up the puck. He had his back to the play. He took a little look over his shoulder, and he saw, and there was an open defenseman on the other side, right? And so you're thinking the first thing that a guy is going to do is be like, <laughs> get this puck off my stick. The last thing I need to do is mess this up, and he's going to fire it D to D and let that defenseman take care of it. No, he sees the middle is wide open. He button hooks and heads straight up the ice and pushes the puck down the ice. I have, As soon as I saw that move, it was simple, but it said so much. It said this was a player who is coming up here to play his game, recognize the kind of things that he does, take advantage of the things that he does when he's on the ice. I just absolutely love that. And Sandberg, you saw him out there, gets an assist on that first goal. How many shots did he block tonight using him on the penalty kill? I mean, he walked into that lineup and absolutely looked nowhere near out of place. I mean, a big body like that, you know, we know that the Jets are at least in the Paul Maurice era, they were really searching for bigger guys. And on a game where, you know, and 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 I don't I don't want to reduce Dylan Sandberg to just saying that he's a big body, right? But when a guy like uh Dylan Dylan goes out of the lineup 
and when Brendan Dillon is out of the lineup, and then you get a guy like him coming in and Big Stan out of the lineup, and he comes in, there really didn't seem to be a size deficit out there. And we'll get into it later because we were talking a little bit before the show started. But there was a real good job done by the Jets tonight on keeping the Red Wings to the outside. And I give him, you know, a large chunk of, of the share of, of the Jets being able to do that. Those guys were absolutely phenomenal. Um, and then, you know what, I'll jump right back to Cole Perfetti. Cole Perfetti at the beginning of the game, and he's uh, on the ice with two star players. I mean, Kyle Connor, who is the best Jet this year. Uh, let's, let's just get that out of the way. And Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's been absolutely phenomenal. First period and a half of that game, I, I was thinking to myself, I'm not noticing Cole Perfetti. He's not standing out to me. And then part of me was saying, you know what, that's fine. He's on with two really, really good players. So when Kyle Connor gets out on the ice, you don't, you, one, you watch enough hockey like we do, Ken, you, you get to notice a player just by his stride. You can tell who a guy is just by the way he skates, right? But Kyle Connor is always so involved. He's always so in on the forecheck. He turns over so many pucks. He's so dangerous once he has it. You just notice him every time he's on the ice. And then you get the same thing from Pierre-Luc Dubois. He's, he's the bull in the china shop. And I love that play where you saw him on the side of the boards and he's tied up with another player. And that player's pissed off. And Dubois is getting up and giving him a shot. I've been vocal on this all year. I love that element. It's an element that not a lot of the Jets bring, especially up front. And he seems to want to bring that every single night good on on him for doing that but i so i said to myself you know what give the kid a break he's on the line he's on the line with two phenomenal nhl players and the best player on this team this year so yeah you're not going to stand out amongst those guys but then as the game wore on i thought he started standing out more and more and more and clearly that one tic-tac-toe play where he sends it to the front of the net with the one touch pass and the kind of the the lean back like he was he was taking it on the back foot and and kind of faking like he was a rookie who was just figuring out a way just to handle that puck. <laughs> and all he was doing was grabbing it, looking away and doing a no-look slingshot pass to the front of the net. There is a lot involved with Pierre-Luc Dubois getting that puck as wide open as he was. And a lot of it has to do with the deception that Perfetti is handling that pass with. And then I noticed him a few more times. There was one time he was at the side of the net and there wasn't, I don't know, if it was in, if it was in the Jets barn, maybe you would have heard a rise out of the crowd if you could get a crowd. <laughs> at Canada Life Center. Uh, but he was behind the net. He pushed the puck around and went back to the defenseman. And the defenseman saw him at the side of the net. I, I, I believe it was Nate Schmidt. And just fired one wide of the net as he was skating back out. And he didn't tip the puck in. He missed it. But he was in the right spot and the possibility was there. If he gets his stick on it and redirects it in, that's one of those really, really cerebral plays of being getting everyone on the ice looking in this direction then going to the spot where everybody just vacated. I thought his his intelligence as that game wore on was more and more on display. Uh, I thought that, 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 like I said, that deception that he builds so well into his game was on display. And by the end of it for me, Cole Perfetti was standing out on a line of standouts, and I think that says a lot. Yeah, I mean, right back to your original point, I mean, just look at how long it took for Kyle Connor to become a driver on his own line, right? And now he's their most effective player on so many levels. Uh, there's one thing about Perfetti. I mean, we, we know he's very cerebral. We know he's got the brain. I mean, uh, there was something, I mean, there was a shift early. I think it was near the end of a shift where 
I mean, we know that Perfetti is 20 years old. He's going to have to work in his skating. I mean, that, that's every 20-year-old player. But you're right. His brain uh, is always on display. Um, and here, so tonight he played 14-10. That's another career high for Cole Perfetti, right? For coming off a career high of 10 minutes and 31 seconds against Colorado. So I know that everyone wants to just hand him over the spot in that top six. But Cole's not ready to play 20 minutes a night yet. And that's okay. That is that's nothing. That's not a that's not a knock on his game. It just that those are the facts. So you get him some shifts with those guys, but you're not no, going to be able to have him out there every shift. Yeah, right and now. not only that, if you're having him play 20 minutes a night, I right. think it says something about your lineup that For a, sure. a kid is walking in and you don't have enough vets deserving of ice time that you need to take a kid in his fourth NHL game and give him over 20 minutes in a night. I mean, it's it's the, your, your, your point you make is 100% correct. He's getting the ice time he deserves, but if he was getting 20 minutes, it says more about the player surrounding him than the player himself. Go on, Ken. Sorry. For that. sure, and like I said, that's it's another, when you have guys like Paul Stasty and Nikolai Ehlers out, you need to be able to plug and play guys in those kind of roles. I mean, even too, so one thing we didn't talk about during our two trips to the buffet so far, mm-hmm. Yevgeny Svechnikov, just a smart, quiet play along the boards. You know, never mind that cop banked it off the, sh- the pants of Nick Letty and off the back of the mask of uh, N- Nedeljkovic. I mean, that play gets made by Svechnikov, not panicking along the boards, mm-hmm. getting a nice soft little chip, uh, and then a smart play by Cop from there. So, I mean, the Jets have guys that can go up and down the lineup, which is incredibly important. But again, it's not a, not every game is a referendum on whether a guy is ready to play. Just like today is not a referendum over Chisholm and Sandberg. I mean, mm-hmm. those guys both played great. But you know what is great about young players who've only played one NHL game? There's not a lot of time to see the warts. So uh, those guys are young guys. They have things they still need to work on. But you're encouraged by what you saw because of how comfortable they looked, right? I mean, Declan Chisholm's a fifth-round draft pick. He's found money for the Winnipeg Jets. Whether he's ready next year or whenever... I mean, this is a guy that can jump into the lineup and play an effective style of game. And that's what you want. I mean, we know folks were pining to see Vili Hainala, and this is terrible timing for him. But guess what? He has competition, and that's good for the organization. And it's also good for the veteran players because you know that there are guys pushing. So guess what? If you go through a long stretch of not playing well, there are guys pushing for work, and and that's what an or, that's when an organization takes the next step. Uh, you know, so Bowen Byram leaves the Avalanche, but they have to be able to play without him. So, uh, I mean, like I said, I'm impressed by everything that I saw, and like you mentioned about Perfetti, really good, uh, another good showing, another really important step forward. So these guys are, are working every single day to try to establish more. Of a, of a role and, and that's the beauty of hockey I mean you got a guy like Jansen Harkins looks like he was just getting ready to roll right uh, you know getting a chance with with uh, Connor and Dubois himself then gets COVID but comes back in plays an effective game on the Adam Lowry line uh, I thought that the Jets got contributions uh, right throughout I mean even too so Christian Veselainen when Dubois was in the box Finally got himself onto the power play and then has a glorious chance to score, but doesn't bury it. Uh, But at least he's in position to get the chances. So, uh, I mean, it it definitely 
is an interesting thing on a lot of levels, Sean. I mean, I thought uh, there were a lot of impressive showings on, and again, Andrew Kopp, I mean, just an impressive game again. Uh, and you talk about what it meant to him to get back to Michigan. These guys haven't played there in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and hey, I, I understand that there's a lot long time to be played here. But I mean, if you're Steve Eiserman and you're trying to take a young team with a bunch of prospects, are you not seeing that game from Andrew Kopp and thinking, boy, that's a guy that I'd like to get around guys like Lucas Lucas Raymond? Well, for sure. I, You know what, Ken? You read my mind with that because I, t- I take a look at him rolling in there in the <laughs> Michigan boys, and we'll get into that. But I, I thought I thought Andrew Kopp uh, was show- – like, and, and it makes you think about that, right? Because last year we kind of fell into the idea of you know the Canadian division and a lot of teams didn't see each other. But now if you're a player like Andrew Kopp, the difference between last year and this year is everywhere you go is a little bit of an addition right totally. everywhere you yes. go it's like there's a gm on the other team who's watching you that if you impress that guy that's a guy who may decide to pay you a whole lot of money right and there's a lot of different reasons you would want to go in different places maybe you want to go here to win maybe you want to stay in winnipeg because this is the place where you cut your yeah. teeth and you want to stay there maybe you want to go home to detroit because you feel like that team is on the rise but also boy oh boy does it ever feel good to play at home in front of mom dad and the family and the friends but i it's fun that you said that because I was watching how he played tonight and Dennis uh, had it right. Uh, Dennis and Kevin had it right on the broadcast. There was a number of other opportunities he had. Like that could have been a hat trick night or a four goal night the way that he was playing. And he just seemed to be, and it wasn't, the, the beauty of it is he did it without looking like he was trying too hard. Like he right. just went out and had his game. And you know what? When we talk about, I'm going to dig into a little deeper on the Michigan boys here. Uh, and, and one of the guys I'll add to, to you know, Kyle Connor, Connor Hellebuck, and Andrew Kopp. Let's throw Svechnikov in there, right? Because oh, this yeah. was Svechnikov's first Massive. opportunity to come back and show the team that drafted him and had high hopes for him and then gave up on him entirely. First round pick. Gave up on him entirely. This was his chance to go in and say, you guys had it wrong. I wasn't the problem. You were the problem. You used me properly, and I can be. I can pull on the rope. I can be a contributor. And I loved that you pointed out that play that he made along the boards, the confidence that he had to make that play on the boards and set up Andrew Kopp's goal. Because if you notice in the celebration afterwards, it's it's either Kopp, but I actually think it was Shifley. When they're celebrating, they turn to him, and they give him the the nice play, like the big, wide, eyes open, yeah. nice play. It was recognized how nice of a play that was uh, by his teammates. You know that guys are going back afterwards and being like, "That's those are the little kind of plays that make things happen. So good on Svechnikov for that. And you know what, Ken? On a, the one thing that has impressed me time and time and time and time again with Svechnikov is we had lots of conversations at the beginning of the year about him being on that line with yeah. Dubois and Kyle Connor. And he could have been the kind of player who was like, you know what? I went to Detroit and they never gave me a chance. And then I came to Winnipeg and I started showing people what I was made of. And then I got booted off that line and they're not giving me a fair chance. He could have been that guy who goes down that road. But instead, I feel like he just keeps trying and working to capitalize on whatever opportunity is given to him. I thought he did that tonight, and that was phenomenal. I wanted to ask you this question about Andrew Kopp. So he scores the goal. <laughs> what goal are you thinking of when he scores that goal? 
Which goal am I thinking of? Well, when when Andrew Kopp scores and rings it off the goaltender's helmet and into the back of the net, what oh, goal are Buff- you thinking of? Bufflin. Buff. Bufflin yeah. doing it against Bennington. St. Louis in the two uh, against Bennington. And I've noticed, I've seen that uh, um, uh, Nick Ehlers has tried to do it a couple times. I think I've seen uh, Mark, Mark Stone try and do Mark it a couple Stone times. Mark Stone tried it the other night too in the game against Toronto, but, I think. But specifically, I think that the Jets try that play more often than any other team in the league. And it's interesting. If you score the kind of goal that a team tries over and over and over again, you know that that goal left an indelible mark on the brains of your teammates because, you know, that's a play that I I guarantee you, Ken, the majority of teams in this league and the vast majority of players in this league, once you have the puck down below the line, the only play you really have with a guy (laughs) on you is to bury your shoulder and try and beat him and use the net as a screen and give yourself a little bit of room. How many teams think, hey, prime scoring area, especially with the goalie down on his knees and his head by the poster? I thought that was phenomenal. Um, On the bar down, too. I mean... this is yeah. something. Sorry, it's something that is an is an is a nuisance to me at times. Uh, when people say that guys like Andrew Kopp don't have good enough hands, so then you score. Like I'm sorry, like every player in the NHL has pretty good hands, if not above, you know, uh, exceptional hands. They're in the elite of the elite. There are only you know 750 jobs or whatever it is. Um, that's just another example. It just you don't always have time to get your best chance off. Yes, sometimes the shots don't go in, but uh, Andrew Kopp showing once again. I mean, this guy is in double digits once again, uh, and again, it's not just garbage goals for Andrew Kopp. He scored on a beautiful shot, and a, what a great setup by Kyle Connor to spring him free there as that penalty mm-hmm. uh, was just expiring. I mean, that was a great read and a really good shot to go bar down there. Yeah, it's. I'm going back. Uh, I know I was talking, but I'm going back and noticing guys like Whaler, Waiters in the chat yeah. room knew exactly what we were talking about. Like I knew you would. I didn't even need to prep you before the show for that one. Um, I wanted to ask you this, Ken, uh, because I can't think, I can't go back and recall something that reminds me of this. If you think about what happened tonight with those Michigan boys, how special that was, right? Like Connor Hellebuck with the shutout, uh, um, Kyle Connor with uh, goal and assist, Yeah. Goal and assist, and yep. then two goals for Andrew Kopp. I'm trying to think of my, to myself, like, th- think about how rare that is. When's the last time a team came rolling into Winnipeg and a bunch of Manitoba boys just took the game over? Like, when's the last time that happened? Well, what I do know, Travis Hamannuk did score the game winner, uh, I believe, one of those New Year's Eve games when he was rolling through town with the New York Islanders back when Tavares was still there. Um but I mean, I mean, Jonathan Taves would have had a few good games in the building. But um, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, even even too, just think of think of how many Manitoba guys are with Vegas. I mean, there haven't really been right. you know, any Mark Stone hat tricks or exactly um, guys like that. So we know it's special for guys to go to go home and play. Uh, but it's hard to really. Uh, I'm sorry. Yes, Earl Earl of the the Earl of the Empire State. I mean, Ryan Reeves did score the series exactly. clincher. So that's what I was um, going to say. I mean, that's probably the biggest Manitoba I would player say, in yeah. Manitoba moment is Reeves scoring the series for sure. clincher. Agreed. Yeah. On the ball. So, I mean, Good job. But I mean, for sure. I mean, it, it does not happen often, but it is a special thing. And I mean, you often see it in Toronto where you get, um, you know, Ontario guys going to play the Leafs, right? Or a Quebec guy going back to play um, in Montreal. So... Uh, you know, it's super interesting, but I mean, you're right. I mean, even too, we, 
having been in Detroit for those games, um, it's a lot like when Blake Wheeler and those guys are back um, back in Minnesota, right? Yeah. I mean, you have the you have media guys that have covered these guys since high school hockey or since junior hockey. They can't wait to talk about it, but. I mean, it's so interesting, right? I mean, you, you know, guys have motivation, and Andrew Kopp spoke openly about how great it was for those guys uh, to, to, you know, basically to you know, have a dominant game um, in this effort. So, I mean, you, it was an know, impressive showing for sure. You know, one thing that this makes me think of, Ken, because you're right. I, I remember I was doing a, a hockey night in Canada down game down in Minnesota when Wheeler, um, what was it? He, I think he is it when he tied and then surpassed the the Jets record for the most points I think he passed not Hosa but Kovalchuk for the most yeah. franchise points sure. um the one thing that when we get talking about this and we think about Wheeler and the points you were just making about Wheeler and those Minnesota guys going back and playing in Minnesota and like we saw tonight from the Michigan guys going back and playing in Michigan one thing that I think that that I, I feel like the States does better. And Kevin Bieksa talked about this on our podcast last week when he talked about the difference of East hockey, you know, like the yeah. New York players and the Boston players versus, you know, the Minnesota players. But it feels to me like the, and it'll be the schools, right? Because guys get involved with their schools and they're so, you know, their alma mater and they're so proud about that. But there seems to be a lot more of a, competition between states right like michigan hockey wants to outdo minnesota hockey and minnesota hockey wants to outdo massachusetts hockey and california wants to tell all of them that they've arrived on the scene and they're part of this right and then you've got you know wisconsin guys who want to jump up and whatever but you don't really seem to get that sense or that feeling in Manitoba. I mean, everyone's proud. Sorry, not Manitoba. I mean, all across Canada, like basically the GTHL, the greater Toronto hockey league is its own thing. Right. But, and we're all clearly proud. I mean, we all know the guys who are Manitoba boys when they come rolling into town. So we're aware of it, but I don't think there's this like sense of pride where, where you, you drape the provincial flag around your shoulders, the way in the States, they seem to drape the state flag around theirs. It's a pretty interesting thing, but the more I think about it, the more I wonder if that's why you get players like Wheeler who almost always light it up when they go to Minnesota. And like we saw tonight, the Michigan boys just tearing it apart in Michigan. Yeah, it's super interesting. And I mean, it's a, it's a deep rooted community, right? I mean, these guys played, I mean, I was just looking up some you know, research on Kyle Connor. I mean, he played in the Quebec Peewee tournament, right? With Bell Tire. And I mean, Nadel- yeah. Nadelkovich was on his team, right? So um, those guys take pride, uh, you know, from their organizations and, uh, it's something that we see a lot, you know, in the West too. I mean, you see it, you know, it's always East versus West in some ways. It's always Ontario and the rest of the world, right? So, uh, I mean, you get, you know, whether it's under 17 championships or whatever junior leagues, I mean, there's often a little bit of Saskatchewan, Manitoba and, you know, Alberta and you know, all those other things as well. But like you said, I mean, you don't really see it happen a whole lot where you know, those guys just go in and, and really almost flat out dominate. So, uh, it was very interesting to see on that front as well. And, I mean, hey, Connor Hellebuck, you know what? Connor Hellebuck goes into this game knowing he's going to have to play well. Uh, he didn't have to stand on his head. I mean, he did have to survive a six-on-three, right? I mean, you don't mm-hmm. – we have seen one recently. I can't remember the game. Uh, it's not stuck in my head. I believe it did happen one other time. But, 
I mean, the Jets penalty kill, that's another thing we should talk about uh, for, yep. for all of the discussions we've had. Uh, and also, too, I mean, it's just a subtle change. So the lines are different. Dave Lowry talked about it. Instead of having to juggle in here and there, I mean, he knew that Cop and Connor, it just worked out better for them. We know that Lowry and Cop almost always kill together. But what they did was they put those guys together. And, man, that move that Kyle Connor made um, – shorthanded in the late in the third period where he dangled the cider who was great in the game overall i mean man what a move if he buries that on the backhand it's an all-world goal like that's like goal of the year kind of candidate uh right there so those guys really read off each other well and we we know it doesn't go down as a shorthanded goal but cop's second goal is essentially a shorthanded goal i mean it comes one second after the penalty expires the jets did not have a fifth guy on the ice so uh, their reads were excellent. And another thing too, Sean, we've talked about this, that much like in the first period against Colorado when they had the first penalty kill against the Avalanche, the, when they were able to stand out the line and deny the zone entries, man, that was such an impressive part of today's game as well. Um, you know what, Ken? Uh, people have been calling for it here. They want more Tristan. Yeah, yeah. I can't fight this off anymore. <laughs> uh, Nor should you. know you. what? Nor should I, nor should I. So let's get at it. Let's make this a Sean's headband version of the Kenny and Rennie show. Let's do it. Isaiah Bruce says he waited uh, for it all week. So yeah, you got to give them, you got to give the fans what they you want. Do. That's you do, you really should. And I got to say, Ken, uh, we were, um, we, <laughs> we should say this to everybody. We had plans of trying to do live Kenny and Rennie shows where, you right. know, the people out there, and we still have those plans uh, and they were closer than we thought. And then kind of COVID blew everything up. But I was, one of the reasons I was, you know, so excited to do that as I was hoping we could meet Tristan. You know what I mean? Like I've talked sure. with him a lot. I don't think people on... know this, right? I mean, people don't know that we don't really, we've never met him. It's like when yeah. we went to NOLA and we met Richard Medeiros, who's done so much excellent work on Phenomenal. the design, right? So it was great to meet him. And yeah, I mean, we're hoping to have a tweet up, meet up, whatever you want to call it. But uh, we've got a great venue planned out, but we just got to wait till we can get this COVID uh, situation a little bit more under control here. Uh, in friendly Manitoba and we know and once again for those who weren't at our afternoon show today uh, thanks for your support on the t-shirt you know launch guys that was guys and gals that was just uh, absolutely fabulous to see yeah well hey Isaiah Bruce asking who's ahead in t-shirt sales it was Ken it was (laughs) it it was Ken was ahead in the t-shirt sale I never quite saw it as a one versus the other thing and I'm glad I didn't because my ego would be pretty bruised right now if that were the case but uh, I will say this you touched on it Ken and I will let's take this opportunity right now to give a massive thank you uh, to to our chat room and the viewers of the Kenny and Rennie show because we've been telling you we one of the things we love to do on this show is we love to 
to be as open and honest and pull back the curtains and show you what's going on behind the scenes. We told you about what was happening when we were discussing with Sportsnet about getting it up on their website and having those sales. It was a real prove it to us moment. Uh, that's why we were pushing everyone out there to see if we couldn't get your support and get some t-shirts sold. We're happy to say that our t-shirt launch was successful enough that Sportsnet wants more. So on Monday, we were supposed to have it on Wednesday, but COVID uh, delayed the meeting. So now next Monday, we're having a meeting with the merchandise people in Toronto and they want to add more merch. Uh, and that's great news for us because we want to make sure that we know that maybe t-shirts aren't every, everyone's thing. So we want to see, uh, we're going to have a discussion. I won't go too far down that road. Ken and I have ideas, but there's things that we want to kind of add so that people, if they want to, things at different price points or different things maybe there's headbands in the future maybe there's water <laughs> bottles although if you're going to get one at ken's it's got to be one of those large 7-eleven <laughs> big gulp sizes if you want to handle the water that this camel here handles but uh yeah we are so proud of of one uh being able to launch that stuff with again richard medeiros who designed that and niels brits two winnipeggers who designed those things it's a homegrown thing but two just that you all uh decided to help us out with that and uh uh i wanted to say this before uh people are talking about their shirts being shipped when you get them if you want, uh, I think we've got, you know, you can send it to our social media and however it goes. But we'd love to see you all in the gear. If you've got pictures that you want to send our way, we would absolutely love to see you, you all in the gear. Uh, hashtag Kenny and Runny Show. Let's hashtag it up. Go. Let's go. Make, make, it, uh, make it be trending. Let it be trending. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. Um, while we're talking about the Michigan guys, Kyle Connor to the All-Star Game. You touched on it earlier. Let's dig into that a little bit deeper. What did you think when you heard that? Yeah, no big surprise uh, at all. I mean, I think he's been the, you know, I think he's been the most, uh, you know, dominant player or whatever word you want to use. I think Pierre-Luc Dubois obviously had a great start to the year as well. Uh, but I think that, you know, Kyle Connor has been, uh, you know, a real force uh, for the Winnipeg Jets this year. Uh, as Andrew Kopp, you know, I think Andrew Kopp called him a real igniter uh, for their offensive attack. I mean, I think this is, it's great. I, I think this is, to me, it's more on the personal front. I, I think it really will mean something to him to be looking around. I, we know that Kyle Connor is a quiet, reserved individual, but when he looks around and sees the other players in the room, he knows he's walking alongside these guys. We've talked about it a lot. There are only a small handful of players who have outscored Kyle Connor. And those players are among the elite of the elite in the NHL when it comes to goal scoring. I think it's very important for him to get that kind of, not that he needs someone to pat him on the back and say, hey, you're one of them or one of us. But I think that recognition factor is important. And I think it will help him. It will give him a boost. I mean, we've talked so much, Sean, this year about what it would have meant for Kyle Connor to go to the Olympic team and potentially be playing alongside um austin matthews probably austin top, matthews yeah on the top line of team usa yeah so, uh, you're not just saying like this guy's become a driver in his own team but also league-wide so I, I think it's an important uh step and recognition for him and you know what you also hear that too i mean it's the whole uh us versus everyone kind of thing that winnipeggers and manitobans really embrace so that was where Connor Hellebuck's answer was so classic Hellebuck. It's, it was probably overdue, right? I mean, it's about time people recognized 
that Kyle Connor was an all-star. And one other quick one. Uh, I know, you know, having been at that game in Columbus that basically caused the league to change the format, it's time to kind of get, I want something else. The divisional format was a good idea for a short period of time, but I don't like it because it does not allow, like there's no chance that Nazem Kadri should not be in the all-star game given his production level, right? I mean, that's a pretty good one, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> there's no doubt about that. So, I mean, to me, there's there's a lot of teams that you know could have a little bit more uh, representation. But the problem is that you know you have McKinnon and you have Kale McCarr, so you think, well, it's hard to have three guys from one team. But I mean, it just there's always going to be guys that are left out, and uh, I'm not calling things snubs or not. But I think it's time for another tweak. I'm not sure what the answer is, but. I think there needs to be, uh, you know, we should put the, let's put the people at work here. Let's make that a homework assignment. Uh, how can we make uh, the All-Star game a little bit better? I like the homework assignment that people are doing our work for us and putting ideas putter out cover, here. But Danny yeah. S., I got to say, a wake-up putter cover. I, It sounds like a good idea, but it doesn't make a lot of sense if you think about it, Ken. No, Ken just hits holes in one. No, he doesn't no, no, use so, butter. No, he no, just puts so, them in from distance. I think that people recognize. I'm you up. You're supposed to take it. I'm building no. you up. That's a good one, though, Sean. But as you as you know from from a couple of our rounds this year, uh, where I had more putts than actual swings in yes. rounds this year, uh, on one of those rounds, I think it was my seventy nine round, where I had thirty nine swings and forty putts. Uh, a wake up putter cover. I think Marshall Patterson would love that idea. And you know what? If I looked at a wake up putter cover, um, you know, before pulling out the Scotty Cameron. I think maybe it would help me, you know, minimize the three putts. I mean, which is the which is the goal for the upcoming year? I think that's a, that is a pretty good idea right there. Nicely done. Um, you know what? I'm going to go uh, in a direction <laughs> here uh, that um, you'd you'd brought it up uh, with Kyle Connor and that exclusive company that he's in when it comes to goals since uh, since he entered the league. It's like I think he's sixth, and so it's like Austin Matthews is ahead of him, Ovechkin is ahead of him. Um, Drysital, uh, um, McDavid too, right? McDavid, and then there's one other guy. Oh, Pasta, Pasta. are the five yeah. guys ahead of them. And so I saw that being used, and it's funny because I know Julie Sue's going to say this is this is me raining on the parade here. The fun police, okay, the fun police are coming out. <laughs> but the one thing I've said about that, so people have used that and said like this is this is criminal the way that uh, Kyle Connor is like underrepresented in the league. Uh, you know, he, these are the names that he should be put beside and, and that he should be talked in these kind of vaunted tones with the, with these players. My, my, my take on that, that is like, I, I get what you're saying. And I'm not saying for a second that Kyle Connor isn't clearly one of the elite goal scorers in the game. But if you take a look at the rest of those names on that list, you're talking about Hart Trophy winners. You're talking about guys who are consistently top 10 goal scorers. Those are places that Kyle Connor hasn't been. So while Kyle Connor scores at the pace that he scores at, you, I don't think there can be an argument 
that he has done what those players have done. And so I know people are looking, and we've talked about it on this show, Ken. We've tried to understand why it is that Kyle Connor doesn't seem to get the league-wide press that we think he's deserving of. We've One of the things we've landed on is he's a quiet guy. You know, he doesn't come out. He doesn't, you'd said it. K, KFC should be the first guy walking out into, yeah. a, a, into a press conference. Get that T-shirt on. KFC yes. T-shirt, right? Like self-promotion. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how he is, and we totally get that. But I would say it's not all that. I don't think you can just see that because you can make stats fit you know, a lot of different things. And that's one of those things. If you're going to put that stat out there and say these five or six goal scorers and then Kyle Connor and Kyle Connor's name should be screamed at the top of a mountain at the same volume as the rest of those players. Let's straighten things out for a second. Kyle Connor has not accomplished what Leon Dreisaitl has, what Connor McDavid has, uh, even what Austin Matthews has. So, so I, I'm just saying, Pump the brakes on that one a little bit. I'm not saying he's not deserving, and I'll say this time and time again. He is clearly one of the best goal scorers in the league, but don't use that stat to say that his name belongs right beside those players because you need to take a look at the assists and the hardware that those players have earned uh, to, to get to the, the, the recognition that they've got to. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that Kyle Connor would be okay with measuring his uh, playoff win total against a few of those guys on that list. <laughs> Good job. I would Good also job. say that uh, Kyle Connor would also be comfortable. I mean, here's the other part. My here's my biggest issue: uh, how many guys on that list are excellent two-way players? Not many. Not, so to, yeah. To for me, sure. Austin Matthews has improved, but not a lot of those guys are really great. I mean, you're not, uh, David Pasternak is not his, I'm sure that the Corsi and some of those analytics favor him, but not because he's a good defensive player because he has Marchand and Bergeron with him on the majority of time, even though now he's playing with Taylor Hall and Eric Halla. But uh, I just think that that to me gets overblown. Yes. That line conceivably in the past has given up as much as it has scored, but he still is an elite offensive finisher. And the other thing, too, here's one, too, uh, EKD. Um, a lot of ga- – this is a guy that, I mean, I understand not a lot of people love the whole clutch performer type thing. Dating back to his time at the Youngstown Phantoms, uh, this is a guy that in big moments, you can you don't have to go searching for Kyle Connor. You can find right. him because he's usually the guy delivering uh, important plays when, when the games and series are on the line. So – uh, I think it's he, he's going to continue to be getting better, uh, but this is a big important. It's an important step in terms of league-wide recognition, and I think it's going to be something where he's going to really enjoy being around. And I think a lot of people are going to see, especially in those three-on-three type of games. This guy is ridiculous, ridiculous hands. Whether it's in tight, oh, yeah. whether it's with his shot, uh, all of those things. So you know what? He's up to twenty goals now, um, and again. I, I think this is a guy who's going to continue to improve, right? That's the part for me that's important about Kyle Connor. He knew he had work to do defensively. He's working on it, right? I mean, he got better this year. Will he continue to get better? That's on him. But this is an important uh, moment and an important step for him in terms of that recognition factor. And I think you're going to continue to see Kyle Connor get better. 
Yeah, I'm. Uh, this is this is only going to reinforce what uh, Jets Dubois is saying here because I'm going to make one last point. Here's the here's the one last thing that I think has stood in the way of Kyle Connor getting the recognition he deserves is he's played second fiddle quite a lot on the Winnipeg Jets. By that I mean as good a goal scorer as he he has been. When Patrick Laine was on the team, he finished behind Patrick Laine in goals every single year they played together except one. The last year, correct? Well, the last year when Line had had thirty, Kyle was well ahead of Line, him that year. No, Line uh, um, missed thirty that that year. Didn't he finish oh, he had twenty nine in the nose. shortened season? Okay. A- anyway, so what? Early on, when Patrick Line was getting thirty six goals and forty four goals, he was outscoring Kyle Connor and was a year younger, so he looked like a phenom. And then the other part of that too is when you take a look at the offense. For years, people around the league looked at who they look at. They looked at Blake Wheeler, who was putting up ninety one point seasons, and they took a look at Mark Scheifele. Uh, and sorry, Line been... was twenty eight the last year. Sorry, but the year before he had thirty. Right. And... Right. Connor had 34. So the last two years, Connor outscored him. But I mean, yeah, there you go. We know that Connor played on the top line. So, um, yeah, there there were reasons that we thought. And also, once you're a 44 goal scorer, right? Like Kyle Connor's never hit 40, correct? So when you haven't hit 38 in the shortened season. So I'm sure, but when when you're a 19 year old kid who puts up 44 goals in a year, you are going to be the guy that the rest of the league looks at. Now, in no way was Patrick Line looked over by the league. That guy, geez, if I wanted to get something on the Sportsnet website, Ken, I just put (laughs) Patrick Line in it and it would sell across the country. People were interested in that guy. So I'm not saying this to say anything about Kyle Connor. I've said it earlier in this show. He's the Jets' best player this year. That's probably not going to change for for a while, for years to come, the way he's locked up. Uh, I'm giving him his full due. I'm trying to get him his full due. I'm just trying to explain the idea. There's been a bunch of circumstances that have kept his name from ringing out. And it's not only, you know, the fact that he's not putting up maybe the the points or the hardware of those other players I said earlier, but it's the fact that in a lot of ways he's played second fiddle to other players on the Winnipeg Jets. I think that time of playing second fiddle is over for Kyle Connor. Um, Where do you want to go for? Oh, here, here's something I really wanted to talk about. Nathan Nathan Smith, making the Olympic team. Let's go there. So Winnipeg Jets prospect Nathan Smith, who is leading the NCAA in scoring, is going to go and play for the U.S. in the Olympics. Um, you had just gone. Did you see one of his games? Did no, that was Lucius. Chaz Lucius. Lucius. I mean, I was but... looking at an opportunity to maybe see if I could go see Nathan Smith. That's what you were telling uh, me. University was... of Minnesota Mankato, but didn't find a window to make that happen. Uh, you know, he's got he's a great story. I mean, for, for folks who have forgotten, here's a guy who grew up in Florida, uh, was a roller hockey player, came to hockey yes. a bit late, went to the USHL, uh, kind of an undersized forward, and he's really been flourishing uh, with the University of Minnesota State at Mankato Mavericks program. I mean, their their team was a really good competitor last year. They're pushing to try to get into the tournament again this year, uh, and now he's going to have a chance to go to the Olympics. With I think this is a fantastic opportunity. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I just recently did that column on Jets prospects. I think before Christmas, I had a great chat with Jimmy Roy um, about. Uh, Nathan Smith and the year that he's having uh, right-handed shot plays center uh, really good shot when he's moving his feet uh, really effective player 
Uh, I mean, he's a junior in college, so the Jets will still have to sign him depending on how long the season goes. But uh, a really great opportunity for a prospect who has kind of flown below the radar because he doesn't play at a high-profile program. Um, and he's he was sort of more of a late bloomer. So he wasn't one of these guys that you saw on the World Junior stage. Like we even saw Chaz Lucius as an 18-year-old at the World Junior stage here as well. So uh, two, I mean, again, we've talked so much this year about the Jets not having a lot of right shots. Those are two forward prospects who are right shots, and both of them can really shoot the puck. And Lucius coming home from the uh, World Junior, uh, he's been really solid. I think he had a great weekend uh, for the University of Minnesota uh, last weekend, I believe. So uh, two guys to watch. But, yeah, I mean, what a great opportunity uh, for, for Nathan Smith. And he's a guy that, I mean, again, a lot of people are asking. I mean, is he one of those guys you always hear? I mean, if he signs, can he come straight into the NHL? I don't have the answer. I mean, I think that... You know, the player would probably like to burn the one year of the ELC, like Andrew Kopp, I think, did. Uh, but I but I think that, um, I think that you know, it would be more likely that Smith ends up with the Manitoba Moose. But um, who knows? I mean, we got to see what happens, uh, you know, as this year progresses. And, I mean, here's a guy who first and foremost wants to try to win a national championship um, and then go from there, sort of see what happens. Yeah, Austin Wong, there you go, is also one of those right-hand shot guys. Uh, he's back at Harvard this year after... Uh, being in the USHL last year. Um, so one of my favorite conversations that I've had that I can remember having with the Jets prospect when they came up was with Nathan Smith. Oh, I was and, around the locker that day, I believe. I remember yeah. this. And so I, I was watching him on the ice and he just kind of stood out. And, you know, he's one of those picks that like when the Jets picked him, it didn't, it didn't, you know, it didn't pop your eyes open or anything like that. But I'd watched him play and I was like, who is this guy? And so I went like started talking with him and I got to say, man, oh man, what a quality human being. Like just, this is the thing, right? You've got this player who's kind of come out of nowhere, that backstory. And I'll touch on that backstory that you brought up of him being the inline hockey guy. Like, you know, just such an interesting backstory, but this kid was so excited to be at that camp. So excited to play so positive, so happy, just, you know, and, and just like a quality human being. So not only are you getting this guy who's leading the NCAA and scoring and just turning into this absolutely phenomenal hockey player, and now is going to go get this Olympic experience that is going to help out so much. If you're the Winnipeg Jets, you absolutely love the idea that he's getting that opportunity, but he's just an A1 human being as well, right? Which never, never ever hurts and i just talking with him you know about being in florida and you know watching the tampa bay lightning he's from tampa and that story it's the same as jason zucker who plays with the pens and uh you know his game seems to have gone downhill since he went to the pens i thought he was you know really kind of breaking out when he was with the minnesota wild but same deal he was in from las vegas his dad built brick walls in the backyard and then put in a uh, 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 concrete and, and that's where Zucker learned how to play hockey was on inline skates with a ball and a stick. Um, so I'd already told a story on hockey night in Canada about that. And then here comes this other kid. And I just find it fascinating. These kids who arrive on hockey. And if I remember correctly, Nathan Smith had <laughs> before he kind of like 
fell in love with, you know, hockey and like, you know, started watching the Tampa Bay Lightning. He didn't know that there was really ice hockey. Like he was, there was inline hockey and he went out and he played inline hockey. And he's like, this is great. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could make a living at this? And it's like, well, if you can put on skates and go do this on ice, you can do it. And here's this kid who just, you know, came out of an area, didn't have, you know, the coaching from the time he was young, coaching him up, moved up north, like you said, and just started getting better and better and better. One of the things I think that the Jet staff does really, really well, and Mason Appleton was a great example of that. Connor Hellebuck was a great example of that. Mark Shifley was a great example of that. The Jets staff really seems to find players that maybe had situations in their past that they didn't really arrive, but then they figured something out and started heading in this direction. And the Jets draft them when they're here, when everyone else is up there. But the Jets can see the the pro- progression of the player and the trajectory of where they're going. And this would definitely be one of those players that the Jets scouts, I think, are so good at finding and recognizing a player's trajectory. And Nathan Smith is one of those guys, again, absolutely great kid, one of those guys that you can root for Dan Murphy was talking about it on our our, uh, show earlier today, how he said, you know, there's a lot of guys when when Vancouver didn't win the cup, he's not going home and saying, you know, this is the team I cover. I'm shattered that the Canucks didn't win a cup, but he is shattered for certain players that he admires and respects who would conduct themselves well. Nathan Smith. Uh, should he make the NHL, and I do believe he will, is going to be one of those players that will be really easy to root for because he's just an absolutely great guy. Congratulations to him for doing yeah, that. Another quick one. I mean, Andrew Kopp is another great example, right? So a guy, yeah. a multi-sport athlete who you know passed on an opportunity to be with Team USA, the under-18 under, uh, development team. Uh, then came on as a walk-on during the <laughs> during the course of the year, uh, and then even too, I would say Tucker Pullman would be in that category also, Sean. Right? So Tucker Pullman, a guy who is on his last way to a tryout with his dad in you know I think it was going to Lincoln. Um, if he doesn't make the team, he's basically going to go to university and not and be playing rec hockey, and then makes the team, and then you know gets drafted, goes on to the USHL and everything else. So. Uh, a lot of guys just really love the game, right? I mean, uh, and that's a big part of it. I think that David Gustafson would be in that kind of a boat too. I mean, uh, it, it is interesting though, for sure. You've seen a couple of those later bloomers that are really starting to uh, to shine, that's for sure. Um, I'm just going to bring this up because it's popping up in the chat room. But, you know, I brought up Mark Shifley as being the guy they got on the trajectory. And uh, this seems to happen all the time when you bring up Mark Shifley lately. People are asking for his head. They want him gone. What's going on, Kenny? Do you agree with this? I I had this conversation with Hustler, and I think he was a little I think he was a little miffed at me um, because I brought it up on the show. On that one, yeah. Oh, well, okay. he he brought it up on the show uh, because I was listening one time, and him and Jeff Hamilton were the first guys I kind of heard about that. And I said I give him all the uh, all the credit in the world that these kind of things are you know like talking about this kind of stuff to me is a sign of a healthy media that asks these tough questions. I give him all the credit for doing that. I hope he didn't think that I was like hanging him out to dry with that. But the one thing that I thought was just phenomenal is he and he in that conversation with Jeff Hamilton, I think started a conversation that's been going on ever since. But I was really, really surprised to see how many Jets fans want Mark Shifley gone. It kind of blows my mind. But look, you 
trade Shafe. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure if I know our chat room, they're going to be weighing in on this. Jeff Bose says he was great tonight, but I, it, I don't know. I just, I, I want your take on that. We've touched on this a little bit, but I want your take on where you think Mark Shafley's game is at and the idea uh, that seems to have permeated the fan base that maybe there's a future without Mark Shifley that they would like to be seeing. Yeah, I actually thought that Shifley's game was quite solid today. I mean, I thought he made that one really just exceptional move from below the goal line where he got out to the front but just kind of lost the handle. Um, I would also, too, I just always reminding people that um, Mark Shifley has been a highly productive player for an awfully long time. Uh, so you better be careful what you wish for because there's a lot of teams around the NHL um, that wish they had a number one centerman. And you know what? Right now the Jets are fortunate to have two of them. They have Mark mm-hmm. Shifley and Pierre-Luc Dubois. And the skill sets are very complementary when you're looking at those two players. One really high-end skill skill player and yep. one power forward. So that one-two punch down the middle is incredibly hard to find. And you know where those guys generally get taken? In the top 10, right? So you have a third overall pick and a seventh overall pick. So uh, unless you're going to be getting an elite, elite level player back, uh, I don't think you entertain that for for one second. But um, at the same time, I mean, I understand why people get frustrated and people want uh, certain things and they want, you know, but again, I just think that it's very important to remember what uh, the Jets would be potentially giving up. I don't think right now for a second that they are considering moving Mark Shifley. No, but, I agree. I mean, we know we've talked a lot about the window, right? So, you know, if the window's three years and then, you know, do you want, you don't want to risk, uh, what are you, you going to wait till the third year when you're going into a UFA year? I mean, that's a risky proposition in itself, but uh, what I would say is I, I thought that Mark Scheife was very good today. And I think that Mark's in a place where he's playing for a new coach. Um, we know there's a very strong relationship with Andrew Kopp. They were roommates for a long time. Uh, we know they enjoy playing together. Um, but yeah, I mean, how Mark Scheife handles the coaching change will go a long way to determining what direction the Winnipeg Jets take. But um, I would say that... Mark Shifley is still a very effective player, and uh, I would say that he's still a very productive player, given everything that he's gone through this year, from missing the opener as a suspension to uh, missing time to the, you know, when he had the Charlie horse after the hit with the Adam Pellick. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, it's an interesting time for sure, and I think it's important for Mark to continue to elevate his game because we know he has been a high-end player for a long time. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, sometimes some people think you can get a little bit stagnant in a certain area. I don't see that happening uh, with Mark right now. But, I mean, he's a guy that can't, he has another level and I expect him to continue to push to try to get back to that level. I'll say this. I think the most mo- most important point about what you just made is the one-two punch that he and uh, uh, Pierre Dubois create, because the idea um, uh, that that I've always really liked with a team is when you ha- when you have to uh, get be attacked by different styles, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, what what 
the opposing coach is going to come up with a game plan. He's going to put this line against this line and this line against this line, right? It's what happens in those kind of, and I always call them like shoulder shifts, the shoulder shifts where it's one line and it bleeds into another line. When you go out and you're on the ice and you're like preparing to like take on Pierre-Luc Dubois and grind and, and have to push back and, and, and defend against that specific kind of game. And then all of a sudden he changes and Mark Shifley comes out. It's an entirely different concept that you have to deal with. And, you know, Mark Shifley is all about, you know, like pushing guys back and creating a vacuum and then passing the puck to the player that fills that vacuum. And that's, it's a dangerous, entirely different type of game. So uh, I love your argument about like the sum of all parts being the most important thing here. And I do think that that's important. The one thing I would also say about this too, and this isn't a knock against Pierre-Luc Dubois, but one of the reasons I believe that this conversation has, has come up, and I do think one thing that our chat room is showing us here, Ken, is it's another one of those things where I, I do believe that the, the the Jets fans who want Mark Shifley traded are the minority and they're the louder minority. Oh, sure. I think if you get down to it, it's the majority of Jets fans aren't going to agree with that. But I think one of the reasons why this conversation even came up in the first place and you're hearing Jets fans talk about trading Mark Shifley has to do with the fact with the emergence of Pierre-Luc Dubois and people saying we don't need him anymore. But before we go down that road, and believe me, I'm not saying that they're the exact same kind of player. I'm not saying that points mean everything. But I will say Pierre-Luc Dubois... The hockey that he is playing that has people convinced we can get rid of Mark Shifley, he's got 26 points in 34 games. Mark Shifley is a point-per-game player and has been for a long, long, long five time. Seasons. And you Five seasons. You, move, you take that production out, and not only depending on who you get back, but if you lose that, now all of a sudden opposing teams that come in here with a game plan of shutting down Mark Shifley don't have to focus on that game plan anymore. And you don't necessarily know what Pierre-Luc Dubois' production looks like against a team that is able to key on him that much more. Um, so I, now, now the last thing I'll say on this, Ken, cause I know you're going to jump in on this. The last thing I'll say is I get why people are talking about it because Mark Shifley's contract is expiring. And if he, you know, if they don't resign him, he goes somewhere. And I think there's a belief that he'll make too much money for the Jets to resign him. I understand that. And I am one of the people who thinks that they won't be able to resign Mark Shifley and that he will go somewhere. But to the point you're talking about, I think it's at, at some stage, the Jets can't just constantly be looking to the future and scott billick is in on the chat room he talks about kicking the can down the road i think that that's a real issue in winnipeg if you trade mark shifley unless you're getting to your point like something really significant back like it's a one-for-one -one swap and you're getting something that just basically fills that void right off the bat i just I, I don't like the idea of it i i think right now you take the talent that you have you amass it you take your nucleus you try and find a way to make that nucleus work while you have it and i think even to the degree because you've got such a good scouting staff you know you're going to go out and get new players to fill those holes i think if mark shifley walks away in the end for nothing i think it's a risk that you have to to take because you have to try and capitalize on the window that you have and that window is best capitalized on with mark shifley in the lineup you go yeah i mean you talked about it the last time you brought the subject up i mean uh, recency bias is a, is a difficult thing i mean mark shifley uh 
It's not long ago that he had 14 goals and 20 points in 17 playoff games when the Jets uh, marched all the way to the conference final. Now, we understand that, you know, in the qualifying round, Mark Schleifley took three shifts. And in game one of the second round last year, Mark Schleifley was suspended in the final minute. So his his playoff structure has recently has not been as impressive as the earlier version but he still has 18 goals and 31 points and essentially 32 playoff games. So that production is hard to find when the game matters most. Uh, and we're also needing to remember that Kyle Connor is playing the best hockey of his career, even if they're not playing together. If you can't key in on just the one line with the Winnipeg Jets, that playoff production is probably going upward in terms of that trajectory. So uh, to me too, I mean... You understand why people are getting fired up, but uh, I mean, I don't think they were anywhere near that being uh, on the horizon or on the radar. But yeah, uh, I mean, it's something we... too, and it's something we will have to talk about over the course of the year. And we've been asked about it a few times, but I think it's just too early to weigh in. I mean, people wondering if the Jets have to consider uh, if they, depending on how they handle this upcoming situation, how do you handle the unrestricted free agents like Andrew Kopp and Paul Stasty? If the Jets are on the bubble or, you know, what if they're in a situation like the St. Louis Blues in 2018 when the Jets did acquire Paul Stasty? Um, I mean, they're in win now mode, but they're going to be having a treacherous schedule in February. I mean, even too, just yeah. look no further than next week. The Jets play four of the top six teams in the NHL in a one week span, including yeah. a back to back with uh, Pittsburgh and Boston. And right now, I mean, geez, I was asking Dave Lowry, when might we see Eric Comrie only to see him land on the COVID list? So <laughs> yeah. um, will he even be available next weekend, uh, depending on his symptoms, for one of those games in the back-to-back? So uh, it'll be an interesting time. I mean, the stretch coming up too, those games also include, a, a, you know, two home games against Florida and Vancouver, and then the Jets' final two games before the All-Star break are against the St. Louis Blues and the Philadelphia Flyers. The only non-playoff team in that stretch is the last game against the Philadelphia Flyers. So mm. these guys have some prime time matchups coming up against some of the elite teams in the NHL. So uh, if they want to hang around, they're going to have to at least kind of, I mean, 500 is sort of a break-even proposition, but uh, they're going to need to play well during this stretch just to stay in the race. But uh, I think right now the Jets had an important kind of, this is this would be one of their, I wouldn't say it's a statement win because of the level of competition that they're playing. But when you look at the circumstances they're dealing with in terms of dealing with COVID really for the first time where they had an actual outbreak, um, that was an impressive performance, one that they needed. And uh, now suddenly what? They've won four to five now again, right? I mean, It's just because of how lopsided that loss to the Colorado Avalanche was, recency bias once again makes people think that the sky is falling. But, I mean, in that 4-5, to the Jets also had wins against some important team, really good teams in the NHL, like St. Louis. So, uh, now, but again, those tests are coming around the corner every time. I mean, this is a great example. It's not just in the Winnipeg market or Manitoba market that this happens, Sean. The Toronto Maple Leafs um, look to be cruising on Saturday against the Colorado Avalanche and couldn't hold a 4-1 uh, to one lead 
then they have a 3-1 to lead over the Vegas Golden Knights. They do find a way to win in a shootout, but then they get Vemelkud last night by the Arizona Coyotes. Like, is the sky falling or is it a lucky win by a goalie who stole the game, right? I mean, uh, this is the beauty. It's like what we talked about. It's not not every game for Cole Perfetti or Dylan Sandberg is a referendum on whether they're ready but because of that whole 82 one game season mentality that you see in some of our markets, it, it just, you, you have to ride the highs and lows a little bit. Um, but at the same time, you, you still recognize the road ahead is going to be very challenging for the Winnipeg Jets. And if they want to stay, there's no excuses for them, right? So if you want to stay in the race, you have to win games against elite teams, right? Otherwise, the way that the teams are playing, teams like the San Jose Sharks and LA Kings and Anaheim Ducks, who we thought were rebuilding, or most people thought were rebuilding, they're solid, solidly in playoff spots or right on the on the verge. And then you got a team like the Dallas Stars, whose winning percentage would I think higher put them, than the Jets? Put right them, now, it's higher than the Jets. Yep. So I mean, there's a lot of really good teams, and whereas in the East. It looks like they're almost to the point where the top eight seeds, you can pretty much put them in pen. You know, the Islanders will have something to say about that maybe, but the top eight, is there's some separation. Whereas in the West, it's still pretty wide open for at least 12 of the 16 teams, I would say. So uh, it's such an interesting time. And and, you, and I mean, some people are right. I mean, the Jets are going to have to kind of stand up and be counted and, and sort of show where they're at. Otherwise, they are going to have to make some tough decisions, but... Uh, I don't see any of those decisions involving Mark Shifley at this time. Um, you know what, to your point about what's coming down the road for this, uh, for this Jets team. Um, the one thing that really stood out to me, uh, and you brought up Dallas. Dallas has gone through a bit of a grind lately uh, and has looked really good. I think they've won 13 of their last 14 home games. Like that, We're looking around, we're seeing teams like Edmonton kind of sink like a stone. Uh, and Calgary, who I brought up as one of the potential teams to fall out, I noticed that they're just one point up on the Jets right now with one game in hand. So really the separation there has all but disappeared. Um the one thing I'll say uh, that I found really interesting, and we're seeing it with Vancouver as well. We talked about this earlier on. Calgary mm-hmm. looked like they were doing okay, and then they headed out west, and they were this grinding team, and they were playing the Daryl Sutter style. And then they went to Florida and got humbled, humbled by both those Florida teams. Then they went to Cal- to excuse me, Carolina and got humbled there as well. Now we're seeing the same thing happen to Vancouver, who is riding hot with eight straight wins. And now all of a sudden they head down there and I see they've lost back-to-back games now. The one thing about that that I've noticed, Ken, and I was paying attention to this early on, Colorado went and got their, their games against those teams out of the way early. And then I noticed that Dallas has kind of run that gamut as well. That's where, to your point, the East, and we saw that tonight because the team that's right on the outside of the playoffs looking in is Detroit. And Detroit did not impress me tonight. I thought they were highly mistake prone. Uh, They gave up odd man rushes way too easily. Like they gave up unearned odd man rushes. I didn't think they had any interest to getting into the inside. It's a team that's lost five of its last six games or maybe six of its last seven now that it lost to the Jets here. Um, So, I mean, that's the team that's right on the outside of the playoff line. Everything above that playoff line, though, is a grind because then you get into like Boston and Pittsburgh and you start working your way up the standings and it is an absolute grind there. 
there's not a lot of those teams that the Jets have played and the teams that they have like Pittsburgh and Carolina, those games didn't go very well. Like if we go back, I don't, I, I'm not sure other than that Colorado uh, loss when they lost seven to one in the last game before this, I'm not sure there was a more humbling loss this year for the Jets than the loss against Carolina, where you just looked at that team and thought these two teams are definitely in different weight classes. And that's what that's what the Jets, I'm not saying that, that they'll be in different weight classes, but when you go in to play Tampa and when you head in to play um, uh, Florida, you're playing the heavyweights in this league. And those are games that the Jets still have ahead of them on the schedule. It kind of reminds me, Ken, of that season in 2000. Uh, uh, 19, uh, when they, when they, uh, lost to the blues in the first round, they had that hot start, but I remembered, I kept saying that hot start at the beginning of the season. They just went on this crazy streak of playing the worst teams in the league. And I kept, I kept saying it on Twitter all the time. Look, the jets need to be making hay now because this schedule turns around Christmas time and it gets really tough. And I contend to this day, a lot of people say what happened to the jets. They fell apart. I think what happened to the jets is they played a really soft schedule at the beginning of the season, started thinking that that's the way things were. And then they started playing nothing but good, good teams after the break and they just were not ready to cope with it i see it being a similar situation here the jets toughest hockey to your point is ahead of them down the stretch here uh and to be chasing a playoff spot when you have that kind of uh, a schedule ahead of you they are going to need to be absolutely at the top of their game last thought before we go ken yeah i mean and just to your point so the Canucks lost to Tampa tonight again, and the Flames lost to Ottawa. But also, the team that's leading the Central and has been great and just beat Colorado, Nashville lost to Buffalo, right? So there's yeah. still, there's, you know, there's no a bit of a high coming off a high with that one. Right. So, I mean, yeah. for sure. But it just it goes to reiterate that, I mean, everyone thinks that the Jets are the only team that loses to teams near the bottom of the standings. I mean, good point. It's great not point. just that way. And, um, I would also contend too. I mean, the Jets also still played a quarter of the season without two of their top six defensemen. Uh, I think if they have Bufflin and Morrissey available to them, even though their schedule is tougher, uh, I don't think you would have seen uh, as much of a decline in their level of play. But I mean, that doesn't matter. It's like Josh Morrissey said earlier this week, nobody's feeling sorry for the Jets. They don't care if people are injured. They don't care if people are on the COVID list. All they care about are who collects the two points at the end of the night. And, I mean, right now the Jets are a bubble team. They're a bubble team with higher aspirations. So that means yeah. you got to dig in, and that means you're going to have to have nights like today where you're getting uh, young guys making big contributions, but you're also being led by your leadership group. I mean, that's the yeah. other thing. It was not just the young guys. The young guys did their part, but the Jets' best players were playing at a high end and you know bordering on an elite level tonight. And that's what they're going to have to do when they're playing some of these other teams. I mean, uh, I can't wait to see the next matchup against the Nashville Predators next week. Sean, you and I both, I think we sat together that game. Nashville, did they were looked poor when they came out of that game in Winnipeg, right? Mm-hmm. Not, not just mm-hmm. borderline. I mean, they looked poor. They looked disinterested. And almost all of those veterans that we were looking at one another thing, What's wrong with these guys? Oh, yeah. Now Matt Duchesne is a player reborn, right? Yeah. Ryan Johansson has been an effective player again. And UC Saros has been just fantastic. So, um, I mean... Forsberg's been phenomenal. 
Yeah. Right. So this week coming up, the Jets have Washington, Nashville. They have Boston, who's just on this ridiculous uh, run that they've been having. And what? So Tuka Rask played tonight, and he won his first start, 3-2. to two. Yeah. Um, They've broken up the perfection line, but guess what? That means Taylor Hall is going with David yeah. Pasternak. Uh, and then, too, at the end, oh, oh, and at the end of the trip, they're playing Pittsburgh, which has been on the most ridiculous run and just had a winning streak snapped by the Blues, but then went out and ripped off a couple more. And, oh, by the way, Yevgeny Malkin is back yeah. in the lineup. So yes. uh, it's not getting any easier for anyone, but again, when you're when you want to be a top level team, um, you have to beat those teams. I mean, and here's the other thing. I mean, I remember somebody beaked me for saying the Columbus Blue Jackets were a good team when they played well against the Jets. Columbus smoked Carolina six nothing tonight. Six nothing for a team below the playoff line playing one of the elite teams. So it just goes to show you there's a lot of talent in the NHL. But yeah, I mean, Craig, you're right. Connor Hellebuck is going to have to be on a heater. And the one thing we know is that Hellebuck loves to get into a rhythm, Sean. Uh, I would say, I wouldn't say that Hellebuck was tired at the end of the stretch, but he played a ton of games leading into the Colorado game that didn't go well. He had a week off and today he was sharp. I expect him to be sharp again on Tuesday and the Jets are going to need him to be sharp probably three starts in a row. And then they're going to have to hope for the best against Pittsburgh, uh, whether that's an Eric Comrie game or, or whatever ends up happening, uh, depending on his symptoms. No doubt. Um, it is going to be some tough hockey down the stretch, but it's going to make for some great Kenny and Rennie post-game shows and Illegal Curve post-game shows and Winnipeg Sports Talk shows the next day. And that's what I implore you to do. Thank you so much for checking us out tomorrow. Make sure you catch Winnipeg Sports Talk. The boys, Hugo and Huss are doing fun. Oh, you're on. Okay, there you go. So if you haven't got enough Kenny here tonight, if Kenny <laughs> is part of your buffet routine, well, that's another way you can get, satisfy your cravings tomorrow for that. I uh, just want to thank everyone for showing up. It's been too long. Feels way too long. We love doing these shows. A week off was too much time. And we're going to have some more time off here. So if you need something to do in the meantime, why not go and check out our Kenny and Rennie long form show we did earlier on today uh, with Steve Wino and Dan Murphy. It was great stuff. And if you haven't checked out our long form show with Kevin Bieksa, it was phenomenal so you want to go check that one out from a week ago it holds up in fact all those long form shows they're not dated they all hold up so if you want to fall down a rabbit hole and check some of those out we love that content it's great stuff uh and again we just want to give you the th- the shout out and the thanks to all the kenny and rennie fans out there so the Someone said they would. They need a name. We call them like Kenny and Rennieites, or we need to come up. We need to come up with a better handle than than what we're doing right now. But thanks to all of you for the t-shirt sales. It was phenomenal. If you missed it earlier on, Toronto was so happy with our sales that uh, we're having a meeting on Monday to see what other merch we can add. So if you have any ideas for merch, send it our way before we go into the meeting. Thank you so much. If you want those shirts still, head to the Sportsnet shop. You'll find it under the Kenny and Rennie collection. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. It's been a fun day. You guys are what makes it fun. Thanks so much. Subscribe, hit like, and we'll see you next time after the next game. It's been a pleasure spending time with you.